Hello, welcome to Talking Fit. I'm Paul Rose. I'm joined as ever by Luke Morgan. Today we are joined by world record holder, so you could say fastest woman of all time, Carla Molinaro. Carla, thank you very, very much for joining us today. Welcome to the show. Uh, just in a couple of minutes, expand on what I just said and tell us a little bit about yourself and your background. Yeah, thanks guys for having me on. Um, as you said, I'm Carla. I'm a guess ultra runner slash adventure runner um i like doing yeah any type of running um but this summer i went and did a bit of a challenge where i set out to get the world record running from land's end in the bottom of cornwall up to john o'groats in the top of scotland um so that took up 12 days and 30 minutes of my time um and yeah it was a little bit emotional and a little bit painful, but your brain is very quickly to forget that. And I've already started to think that it was a good idea and what my next adventure will be. So yeah, that's the type of thing that I like doing. Um, love racing um, and basically just pushing my mind and body and seeing what silly things I can achieve. <laughs> you sound a little bit like the 12 days you're all right with the 30 minutes is is the yeah. bit that you you're not so keen on yeah no no the plan was always to try and finish in less than 12 days um but we ended up getting a northerly storm come in and the last 24 hours was a bit emotional where I was made to walk and yeah the guys kept on saying to me oh if you go a little bit quicker you can get in under the 12 hours but yeah at that point I didn't really care and yeah I'm not I'm not too bothered about it anymore <laughs> anymore yeah <laughs> so why what made you want to go for that particular record I don't know I just I was sitting at home and normally I have certain races that I have to do throughout the year because I run for a women's running team called team mass mart and all of a sudden my whole calendar just cleared up and I was like, Oh, like I've literally got nothing to do. So I needed something to occupy my time and my mind. And I just started looking at maps and all of a sudden like Great Britain just jumped out at me and I was like, I know what I'll try and run up the length of Great Britain. Um, <laughs> which I don't know why it didn't seem scary or stupid to me I mean it did to every single other person I told that I was going to do this but I was like yeah it can't be can't be that bad <laughs> turns out it was um but yeah it was just looking at maps and it seemed like a, a cool thing to try I think it's, it's probably worth mentioning just in case anyone listening isn't based in Great Britain we're not talking about like a, a hundred mile ultra marathon here which is a pretty big deal on its own mm. land center john gross is the best part of 900 miles so <laughs> it's a long long way something luke and i were kind of debating before we came on was how do you go about planning your route for when you're running that kind of distance do you just draw a straight line and kind of go from there or you try and get more road in because you can go a bit faster or more trail because it's perhaps not going to beat up your knees as much or how do you how do you go about that yeah so i pretty much so i use the os maps like online mapping tool which if anyone's planning an adventure it's like absolutely amazing and i did just straight line it and then picked the roads and the paths like as near to that line as I could um, because I wanted to get the shortest route possible. Um, I did chat to a few people when I was planning and they suggested going around the hills because it will make you quicker. But to be honest, when you're running that far, you end up running so slowly. And actually my pace wasn't that different from going up a hill to down a hill. Um, so for me, straight lining it and going up and over the hills um, was the best thing to do and I did manage to get a few sneaky shortcuts in like up and over the Pentlands just to the south of Edinburgh where we could just miss out the road and go on the trail and that was that was pretty amazing it was just a shame it only lasted for for 10k before I was back on the road smashing my legs up again 
but yeah just the shortest route I could possibly find and it was funny because as you were like running along locals would join you and they're like oh I know a quieter road I'm like is it shorter they're like oh no it's only about a mile longer I'm like no no (laughs) (laughs) I will stay on the A30 (laughs) with cars going past me at 80 miles an hour it will be fine (laughs) because yeah all those little miles just add up and yeah I wasn't having any of that so what was your your total mileage at the end of the challenge so I think I managed to get it down to 825 miles um, and the official mileage on the signpost by car, I think it's 874. So yeah, I did manage to to cut that down quite a bit, which I was happy with. I suppose on a challenge like this, every single thing that you do contributes your, to your time. Yeah. The amount of sleep you take and the choices you make and the way there, even simple things like toilet breaks and nutrition like what takes priority on something like that yeah so with this record your time starts when you leave the signpost at land's end and it finishes when you get to john O'Groats. so you're right like everything in between counts sleeping stopping eating so for me every time i stopped in the day it had to be for a reason it couldn't be just because i wanted to sit on a rock it was either I was stretching my legs, I was getting a massage, I was eating, I was changing my, changing my shoes. Um, and eating would be, we only stopped to eat twice during the day. Um, and that would be to get a massage at the same time. The rest of the time I was eating, it was whilst I was running. Um, so yeah, everything did have a reason behind it. And I think that for me is what made this challenge a little bit different to ones I'd done before. Because before things have been quite enjoyable, but even on this, like if a friend came to say hello, unless they came to see me at lunch when we had stopped or they were going to come and run with me, I couldn't stop to talk to them because the clock was ticking away. So, yeah, you are moving unless unless you're doing something that's, I guess, beneficial or something you have to do. See, you mentioned changing shoes, which... I hadn't thought of, but suddenly I'm going, oh, hang on a minute. You're going to need more than one pair of shoes for that. How many pairs of shoes did you get through? So I got through four. Um, I had two pairs to begin with, which were just my normal running shoes. And then after a couple of days, my feet ended up swelling. Like we knew this would happen. And then I swapped to an extra wide fit in my shoes um, to accommodate for that. Um, and then I would wear one pair for the morning and then I'd swap over at lunchtime and wear a second pair in the afternoon just to give the shoes a bit of rest. And then on the days where it rained, which I think we had four days, I would then change my shoes and socks about every 15 to 20 Ks just to try and stop getting that, you know, like trench foot when your feet are wet, just to keep on top of my foot admin and make sure that I didn't get blisters. Um, see on those days i'll just rotate them a bit more i bet you still have some lovely pictures of your feet from the end of it to be fair my feet were in amazing shape at the end i got i did get blisters underneath my toenails from when my feet swelled under three toenails which was really fun because i then had to drill through the nail but apart from that i didn't get a single blister which yeah i have no idea how that happened so (laughs) Someone upstairs obviously likes you. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Going back to sleep, I'm guessing there's there's a bit of a tipping point with sleep in Mm. that you need to get enough that you can function. But if you get too much, then it's just time that you don't have. So how did you go about finding that balance and where was it? Yeah, so for me, sleep was important. And because it's also the only time that your body can actually start to recover, not that it does much on this, but at least you can get a little bit in. So what we did is after the first couple of days, we I ran from 5am in the morning till 10pm at night. And then from 10 to 11, I would basically eat, get a massage, have a shower, sort my life out. We'd be in bed at 11 and then we'd wake up at four again, breakfast, getting ready for the next day. So I had five hours sleep, which when I woke up the next day, I actually felt fine and felt like I was ready to go again. Not that I really got much sleep when I was sleeping because it was too painful. And I guess I kind of was just like, okay, cool. Let's just 
get this day going again, but it was when the project finished that I realized how sleep deprived I actually was. During the run, I guess you're just on adrenaline and I was getting enough rest to get up and go the next day. But yeah, I don't know how, how much longer I could have kept that up for. How, how does that compare to like a normal night? How much would you normally get? Uh, normally I'm between nine and 10 hours. Yeah, so you're I running about sleep. sort of 50% of your <laughs> yeah. normal sleep, so not yeah. a lot of sleep yeah. at all. And one thing I thought was quite interesting reading about um, this particular challenge, the previous record was only set last year, and mm. the, the previous record holder actually supported you running. Was that something, did you approach her? Did she come to you? Obviously, she was quite happy for someone to go out and beat her record, or she, unless she was there, you know, jabbing at you with sticks or something as she went along. Um, Want to bring your pace down? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'd actually emailed her before I started and just said, "Look, I'm doing this. Can you give me some advice? How many people did you have in your team? What did you eat? What did you drink? Just to get a bit of an idea." So, she emailed me back with some information. Um, and her kind of experience of it. And I'd listened to a couple of podcasts that Sharon had done as well to kind of get a flavor for what she went through. And then I hadn't really heard anything more. And all of a sudden I'm running down Shap, uh, a big hill in the Lake District. And I just see this lady standing in GB kit in this lay-by. And she just stares at me as I run past. And I was like, oh my God, that's Sharon. Like, I was like so scared. I was like, this is quite intimidating. Um, and she didn't say anything. And then we actually ended up stopping like 5K down the road. And then she came along and had brought me a cake and was like, hello, and like really cheery. I was like, legend. Um, <laughs> and then she came and ran with me for about 10K, which was awesome. So we were just chatting. And I was like to her, when you did this, did your legs hurt this much? She was like, no, I was fine. And I was like, you've forgotten the pain. <laughs> How can you be fine? <laughs> you're lying. You're just uh, yeah. trying to, you're trying to get in my head. But yeah, now I realize that you forget, yeah, you forget the pain quite quickly. But yeah, it was pretty nice having her running with me because, you know, a lot of people joined me on the run and actually four people that had done this run before joined me and it was quite special running with them because they knew exactly what you were going through. You know, they were like, I know how you feel. And you're like, yes, you do. Um, Cause I had a few people join me. They're like, Oh, I'm also doing virtual a jog. And I'm like, that's really cool, but it's really not the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> and you're trying to be happy for them, but having the people that had done the full route and knew the pain was, was cool. And I'm kind of assuming this is a, very much a once in a lifetime thing you've done it now you've got the record someone else can go and beat it by five minutes if they want you are not going to consider going out there and doing it again no and I made my team film me saying that so when I get when someone does go and break it I've got it on video to remember <laughs> I said I'm never doing it again and I don't know I think there's probably always a feeling of uh, I would like to go and better the record because I know you learn so much from doing it once that there is so many ways you can make it quicker, but there's too many other cool things out there to want to do it again. <laughs> yeah, because you're, you're Team GB ultra runner. You've been to the 100K World Championships. What would you say is your, your normal racing distance or your normal challenge distance? So I like racing anything from 5k to 100k and like everything in between. And I like it because there's variety, like 5k hurts and it burns your lungs and you want to rip your legs off. But 100k, you get to eat all day and it's quite fun. And the ones on the trails are really pretty. So there's something nice about doing all different types of running. And for me, I also like this adventure type stuff where you know, this was a little bit different where there was a record at stake, but I do like it when I can just put on a backpack and go slowly and yeah, sit on that rock and eat a sandwich and chat to friends along the way. So I like to try and get that balance of doing 
as much as I can and lots of different things. Like I have done some races a few times, like Comrades, which is like a, an awesome ultra, but I've now, I now keep thinking, well, I've done that four times and there's lots of other cool races out there. So yeah, I want to try and do as many different things as I can. Yeah, you mentioned Comrades and that was something I wanted to talk about actually, because you've you've got a really good blog on it on your website um talking about the long road to comrades and doing it was, was it 900k or, mm. and or 900 miles and finishing with comrades at the end of it mm. which i mean i like running a long way but there's <laughs> just a line where <laughs> it just you're kind of reading it going this is really amazing but really just why and <laughs> there's a little bit you've put right at the very bottom and it says p.s one thing i learned from this adventure <laughs> is not to pee oh not to pee near a bee a beehive tell us that story so when you're running these really long back-to-back -back thing days, especially as a girl, your legs get smashed up and it's really hard to like, sorry, this is a bit graphic, but like squat down to go to the loo. So you're always looking for like a good place to go. And I see this big box and I'm like, awesome. I can hold on to that. So I did. And then all of a sudden about a hundred bees decide to come out of the box, which means I'm then running back towards the road with my shorts around my ankles, which was very embarrassing, but very amusing to everyone else that was running with us. Um, so yeah, choose, choose where you go wisely. <laughs> Any stings? <laughs> no, I managed to get away lightly, but yeah, that, that wasn't much fun for a few seconds. <laughs> <laughs> Was that during the, the actual Comrades Ultra or was that in one of your, your build-up days to it? No, I think that was actually day three. So we were still still pretty pretty fresh on this run. Okay, so there wasn't you know, thousands of people around you when that No, <laughs> although it did seem like it at the time. You're like, oh my God, this is so embarrassing. <laughs> it wasn't like a Paula Radcliffe London Marathon moment. <laughs> oh, thank God. <laughs> With the camera in your face. Yeah. Um, something I want to ask is, you mentioned your team quite a lot, particularly mm. with uh, Landon's John and Groats. Who do you choose to have in your team? Who's, obviously, you're going to be quite limited with the amount of people you want to take. Mm. Do you have people who have different roles and different almost strings to their bow? Or people you, close? Or Yeah, so you're totally right. Like The team is so important for something like this. And you know, they, there is no way that you could get a record like this on your own. It's just not going to happen. Um, so it was actually quite beneficial that I was doing this when COVID was happening because it meant that people were available to help me. So, and everyone did kind of have, kind of have a couple of roles. So my sister was in charge of doing the aid stations and basically dressing and undressing me at the end of the day because I couldn't reach my feet or I was in just a state so it was quite nice having her there. My boyfriend Mike was in charge of all the Guinness recording and all the aid stations because recording all the stuff for Guinness was like an absolute pain like the hurdles we have to go through are mental. We had my one of my brothers Mark there who did cooking and admin. Um, two guys on the bike Scouse and Dave um, so they were on the bike Scouse also did other admin and basically looked after everyone and Dave did sports massage a guy called Mark who did filming and sports massage another Mark there's three Marks and it's a bit ridiculous um, did was the one of the chefs um, Alicia was helping with the cooking and sports massage and then we had Andy our doctor so there were six people with me at any one time. Some of those guys rotated through. Andy, our doctor, wasn't meant to come out. He was just meant to do it remotely, but I think he had FOMO after seeing us running for a couple of days and then came to join. And it was actually a blessing in disguise that he, he ended up coming out. But yeah, you do need a lot of people and everyone needs to be able to do a couple of, of different things. And also, 
yeah, the team dynamic, you know, you've just got to make sure that everyone gels. And for this project, there wasn't enough time to get everyone together before. And if I was going to do something like this again, that is definitely something that I would do just to see if everyone does get on and how they all work together. Because it probably like the first couple of days were a little bit rocky just with the team kind of finding their feet. But after then it was, it was fine. And if we'd had a little practice weekend, we probably would have ironed everything out then yeah it's a it's a long time to spend with that many people and yeah. if someone's not pulling their pulling their weight it's gonna show isn't it yeah and especially, especially when, when yeah sorry no, especially you... when everyone's tired and you know everyone's getting up at four in the morning and going to bed at 11 o'clock at night so you know I wasn't the only one that was tired they were all exhausted as well and you posted on Instagram a couple of hours ago a photo of you with your your official Guinness World Record holder certificate. Yeah. <laughs> and your outfit in that photo actually looks identical to what you're wearing now. Yes. Has that certificate arrived today? It did. <laughs> it came this morning, which is very exciting. Um, yeah, it took us about three weeks to compile all the information for Guinness, like because you have to label all your files a certain way and have to have a certain amount of video and pictures and GPX tracks and explain if anything went wrong and witness stuff. So yeah, we put that in and then got the certificate this morning, which is very exciting. <laughs> I bet you had the space on the mantelpiece ready weeks ago. Yeah, but I'm now happy. Like I was just like, no one else can break the record until I have the certificate. Now I've got my certificate. You can all crack on and go and give it a go. <laughs> Because I have proof. <laughs> that what I would have happened had that happened? Would they have just not recognised your record or would you have got one and then they would have got one afterwards? I'm not sure. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if one cancels. I mean, you've broken the record, out. so yeah. I think. But yeah, I don't know why. I was just like, I need my certificate. And now I've got my certificate. I'm happy. <laughs> no, it's not a dream anymore. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> It's funny because there's, there's a lot of other easier records you could have done for a Guinness World Records. Most crackers in your, in your mouth in a minute, something like that. A lot, a lot yeah. less admin, a lot less compiling of evidence. but And probably a lot more fun. My sister's trying the one at the moment, which is eating nine Ferrero Rochers in a minute. Okay. Yeah, which turns out it's harder than it looks, but it's, yeah, it's more fun. You get to eat chocolate. Yeah, yeah. There should be a cake one. <laughs> there should be. I'm sure there is one. Most likely is, yeah. <laughs> Is that just a sibling rivalry thing? Carla's yeah, think, got a world record, so now I need one as well. That's pretty much what she said. She's like, I want a certificate. <laughs> <laughs> we put them side by side and see which yeah. one people are most impressed by. Yeah. Probably the Ferrero Rocher one. <laughs> yeah, that is some going, to be fair. Yes, yeah, a lot of hazelnuts. Yeah. What's your next challenge, Carla? Um... So I've got a couple of ideas in my head. I keep getting new ones every day. Um, I've been, I've started to look at trying to do the three peaks challenge, but running in between them. That looks like it might be quite fun. <laughs> Although I did try it once with driving in between them and ended up getting stuck in a snowstorm at the top of Snowdon, which was, was not a fun day. Um, so yeah, I want to do that. I also want to try, well, not try, I want to run the GR10, which is a route over the Pyrenees from the Atlantic to the Med, mainly because I can then end up with a really nice holiday on the uh, on the Med. <laughs> you know, you can get a holiday on the Med in a plane, a train, yeah. a car. <laughs> yeah, but then I can eat all the ice cream <laughs> okay. yeah. afterwards. Right. <laughs> um, yeah, thought it out more than I have. Yeah, so those two, and then I think probably a longer term one it would be quite cool to run around the edge of Great Britain, but that's about 5,000 miles. So it's a very long way. <laughs> With the first and the third one you just talked about, are there, are there people who have done those before? Yeah, so there's actually a guy, I think he finished about four or five days ago, running in between the three peaks. Um, yeah. And I think the record for that's about nine days. I think he missed the record by about an hour, which you'd just be gutted about. <laughs> Um, and a couple of people have round, run around Great Britain. I think if I was to do the Three Peaks one, I'd, I would try that as a record. But around Great Britain, I'd probably do that just a bit slower where 
if I see a nice pub I want to have lunch in I can stop and if I want to jump in the sea I can and yeah just take a few months and enjoy it yeah that's a, a long long way yeah and you don't want to record evidence for like six months. Like I'd get bored after a day. So. <laughs> well, and you'd probably need multiple teams as well because yeah. most people couldn't just no. commit to being by your side for that long. No. Yeah, like one or two core members and then everyone else rotates or something yeah. like that. Just... That was one thing I noticed though doing the jog was like how awesome like complete strangers were with you know, bringing you supplies or coming to say hi or letting you go into their house to do your washing and like all these little things. So I think I would be really interested to see if that kind of carries on over something like running around the UK. You know, I've definitely had people run past my house and you let them come in for a shower and something to eat. And yeah, I'm kind of interested to see if that would happen as you go around the country. So I want to really rewind now to your kind of beginnings in ultra running. I think ultra running is generally something people get into. You don't see many teenagers in it. I think it's partly because you, you need to have done a fair bit of running at shorter distances and you just kind of naturally progress into the longer ones and partly because it costs a lot. A lot of the races are expensive. The traveling's expensive. You need to have a bit of a career behind you to be able to afford to do it. So just tell us a little bit about your journey, how you started out running and how that progressed into to ultra running. Yeah, so I started running when I was at school and did your usual 800, 1500 meters cross country type of thing and then joined the local um, running club from there. And then went on to university where I went to join the running club, but it was all a bit intimidating. Um, they were all, I went to a sports uni, I went to Cardiff and like everyone was like in a GB tracksuit and I was like, oh, this is, this is a bit scary. Um, so went and found the triathlon club instead who were a bit more chilled. Um, so I went and joined the tri club and actually did triathlon for about 10 years. Um, and then one day I entered the Glasgow half marathon and oh, I just loved that. All I needed to do this right race was a pair of running shoes. Um, I no longer had to worry about my helmet and my bike and my wetsuit and my tri suit and my shoe, my three pairs of shoe. Like it was just quite nice that it was just running shoes and go to the start line. And from then I was like, oh, I just want to run. So I yeah hung up my wetsuit and just started running again and yeah enjoyed the simplicity of it and then in when I moved to just running I started dabbling in some half marathons and then marathon and then I was like yeah I really want to give an ultra a bash so an ultra is basically anything over a marathon and I found one out in Switzerland that was 46k um it was in the mountains um but on the mountain trails so i'd never run in the mountains before i had no idea what i was doing so i booked myself a little airbnb went out there for a week and just started playing on the trails and then on the last day did this race which was was pretty cool and then yeah from there i just picked races i guess each one was a little bit longer um and i started to do things like the Tour of Mont Blanc, which is a route, uh, a trail, it's 170 k's long that goes around the Mont Blanc mountains in the Alps, goes through France, Switzerland and Italy. I just got a backpack and went and did that myself over four days and started to do more of that type of thing on my own than the racing. So I've run around oh, the Isle of Wight, Jersey, I've done the Hort route and I started to really enjoyed that type of ultra running where it wasn't so much in a race it was more my own little journey throughout the day and then I guess my first proper ultra race was comrades which was yeah a bit of a, a shock to the system because that's 90 kilometers all on tarmac which just and it's just painful it's just absolutely brutal but if you're an ultra runner or have a dream of being an ultra runner like just put it on your bucket list because it's it's absolutely amazing. There's 20,000 other 
runners at the start line, which normally in an ultra 200 people is a lot. So this is like just next level with people lining the streets the whole way. And yeah, I guess it's just kind of spiraled out of control where now I think it's good ideas to go and run up countries and do ultras day after day after day. <laughs> but yeah, it's been a, a steady progression to now being slightly silly, but fun. <laughs> it's interesting you mentioned the progression because that really comes through in your blogs. Like I was, I was looking at your one about the Tour of Mont Blanc earlier and you reference in it UTMB or Ultra Trail Mont Blanc, which mm. is kind of the race version of what you were talking about. And you say in there that it was it's a bit beyond me at the moment. Mm. And now we're kind of fast forwarding a little bit. And yeah. I don't think it's a little bit beyond you now. Uh, are races like like that? Are they is that something that you'd consider in future? Or do you prefer just the the pure adventure? being on your own or with a small group of friends type of thing? Yeah, a bit, a bit of both. And I think for me, that's what's great about like your mind and your body. Like when you start running, like when I started running, I was like, there is no way I'm doing a marathon. Like that is ridiculous. And then you do a 5K and you don't die. You do a 10K, you don't die. You do a half marathon. And then, you know, those things then become within reaching distance and yeah, definitely when I did that tour of Mont Blanc, I was like, there is no way I could do this in one day. Where now I know that I could. And I think having that steady progression, it gives you the confidence to know that, yes, I can now step it up. I'm now ready to go a little bit further, a little bit longer and do something a bit tougher. And I'm kind of with UTMB, I'm kind of in two minds because that tour of Mont Blanc is, I've done it twice now. I did it once on my own. And then uh, a year later, I took some friends out to do it. And it is one of my favorite things. It is like, it's beautiful. The views are amazing. The trails are awesome. And I don't know if I want to ruin it with a race, but I definitely want to do a hundred miler. So I'd quite like to do Western States if I can get in, which is a big one out in the US. But yeah, I'm kind of in two minds about keeping UTMB as my little four-day running adventure. <laughs> yeah, keep it romantic. Yeah. <laughs> and ultra running, ultra marathons are really, really on the rise at the moment. Mm. They're, you know, a few years ago, marathons were the pinnacle when it came to endurance sports and Ironmans have kind of come through a bit and we've seen more and more people doing them. And now we're seeing more and more people doing ultras. And like you say, it's, it's anything more than a, I feel it's a bit unfair that an ultra marathon is anything that's more than a marathon because, you know, I've done 50 K is my longest and I'm doing my first 50 miler this weekend. And I'm kind of going, these aren't the same thing. Like, <laughs> I ran a 50k in training a few weeks ago. What? How is someone that's done that the same as someone that's done that? The same as someone that's just run the length of Great Britain? I've, I've, I've gone off on a tangent, but there should be other classifications like Ultra X or something like that. Although that's an event, so you couldn't have that. But, um, as they, they are getting bigger and bigger and bigger and I know you're a running coach as well do you see as in your your kind of coaching business more people coming to you looking for ultras and things now as opposed to the 5ks 10ks half marathons and what kinds of people seem to be attracted to to ultra marathons yeah I have seen that I've actually most of the people I'm coaching now are all doing ultras some of them their first one some of them their 10th one and a huge range like I've got some guys that are looking to go and do like a really good time at comrades and properly race it and have the ability to do that and then I've got a couple of girls who are doing their first one and one of them has never done a marathon before she is going to do one in training but it's quite interesting to see that she's stepping up from having done a half marathon to being like, yeah, I want to do an ultra. And that's now, that is a normal thing. I've seen that with quite a lot of people. For some reason, they want to skip out 
that marathon phase. I mean, you still have to train at a marathon, but you don't have to race one to be able to do an ultra. And yeah, it's cool to see. And certainly like proper marathon racing, I think can, well, it is very different to if you want to just go out and enjoy an ultra. Um, like marathon racing, you know, I think a lot of people, you have your times like sub three hour, sub four hour, you know what time you have to do for every split where no one really knows how long it should take you to run 50k. So the guys that I coach, it's quite nice that they don't have that pressure put on them from the beginning. So it's almost a little bit easier for them to train and race at those distances. And it's easier for me to coach them when they don't have any expectations on themselves, except for I want to finish. And like a marathon where they're like, I have to do four hours. You're like, why? They're like, because that's what Runners World told me. You're like, okay. So for me, I quite like it that ultra runnings, I guess a little bit more of the pressure's off and coaching for it's quite fun. And from a, a coaching perspective, when you're training for a marathon, generally your longest run longest run I ever did training for a marathon is 20 miles. I know some people go a bit higher, sometimes 22, 23. As I say, training for 50 miles, the longest was 30, uh, 50K, so about 30 miles. When you go and you run almost 900 miles, mm. now, and you, however you break it down, it was about 73 miles a day, 12 and a half days, the ratios surely aren't the same. You didn't go, well, I'm going to be running 73 miles a day. So I'll train by doing my last long run will be 50 miles a day. You yeah. know, what, what is the kind of, where does it stop? What's, where's that point? Yeah. So for my Le jog run, I basically, cause I only started planning it at the beginning of lockdown. I only had 12 weeks. So I did a training plan where I did four runs back to back on a Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. I did 15K in the beginning and I added 5K each week and I stopped at 50K basically because I ran out of time. Um, I probably would have only gone up to 60, 65 if I had more time. But with multi-day stuff like this, there's such a fine line between injuring yourself and like being prepared for the run. And I think the biggest thing with multi-day racing or running or adventures like this is you accepting that it's going to be painful so it was just going to hurt like I knew I was fit I knew I had the base endurance and I just had to suck it up that it was going to hurt and it was actually more of a mental game of okay my legs are sore the next day I've got to get up and I've got to run on sore legs and it's knowing that the difference between your legs just being sore and you injuring yourself so in that training, you've just got to become very aware of your body and of your mind playing games on you of what's actually an injury and what is just painful and being able to just bat those things out of your head. And yeah, cause I could have gone and done, you know, 400 K days back to back, but then you're at the risk of injuring yourself and not being able to do the run. So it's this fine line between doing enough training and not doing enough. It's quite weird. <laughs> and what does a tip, obviously as for a challenge, but what does a typical week of training look for you, look like for you? Not just the running, but the, do you do, I presume you do strength training as well. How would a typical week look like for you? Yeah. So I normally on a Monday and Wednesday, I'll just do an easy run, something like 45 minutes, just nice and easy. And on a Wednesday I'll do, a strength and conditioning circuit and then go straight into the run. So my body's a little bit tired from the strength stuff. It just adds a bit more strength and endurance to my program. Tuesdays and Thursdays, I do interval sessions. So typical, you know, four by one K or 10, four hundreds or something like that. On a Saturday, I will do like a tempo session. So something like 10 K, and yeah just running it at a certain race pace depending on what I'm training for and then a long run on a Sunday 
And then I also do yoga. I try and do it two or three times a week as well. Um, just short, sharp, little 20, 30 minute sessions just to stretch everything out and make sure I can still touch my toes. <laughs> <laughs> Are you a full-time athlete now? So, no, I... Well, you're, you're coaching well, yeah. as well, aren't you? Yeah, so I coach, I do... I'm actually just finishing my yoga course this weekend. If I pass my exams, fingers crossed. And then I'm going to start strength and conditioning and yoga for runners, because I think as runners, we are rubbish at doing any cross training. Cause we think if I'm not running, it is not beneficial, which is a lie. <laughs> and yeah, so going to start doing some of that stuff and yeah, coaching. I do some coaching in person, but most of it's online. I'd love to be a full-time athlete though. That would be the dream. Just go run all day. Cool. <laughs> Just want to go back into where you mentioned your strength training. Are you somebody who lifts heavy in your strength training or do you focus more endurance hypertrophy? It kind of depends um, what I'm doing. So I kind of like rotate through some different sessions. So at the moment I am doing heavier weights. So I still put, an endurance kind of spin on the heavier weights. And I do that by just doing the exercises back to back. So I don't do super, super heavy, but they are quite, quite heavy. And then I'll also do a body weight um, block, which I hate because it starts off with burpees, which are disgusting, but they're really good for you. Um, and then I'll move when just before I'm racing normally like two months out, up to six weeks out from racing like a a lighter quicker endurance weight set where i pretty much just use a bar and just do the exercises quite quickly just adding a bit of resistance see why you hate burpees it's almost touching your toes isn't it yeah <laughs> so what was your your first ultra that you did uh the first ultra race was I think it's called the Ultrax Matterhorn, which is in Zermatt in Switzerland, where, yeah, it was slightly intimidating when you turn up at the start and everyone's got running poles and you don't. And you're like, what have they got them for? And then you start hiking up a mountain and you're like, ah, <laughs> that'd be why. And yeah, that was a bit of a shock to the system because it went up to three and a half thousand meters, the climb. And I'd never run up that high in my life or up a mountain. Um, so, yeah, it was probably a bit of a silly thing to do in hindsight, but it was a fun day out. And I think it took like seven hours for the 42K. So you're not going anywhere quickly and you are walking a lot of it. But it had awesome views, especially because you could see the Matterhorn for most of the race, which was, which was pretty cool. So are poles now something that you just use as standard or are you still not not sold on them no so i got some poles after i took a group of friends running on the hort route um and then realized that actually because for ages i was like i don't need poles but actually they make your life about a million times easier when you're in the mountains and then the run i did after that was one called the gr10 which is across corsica and oh my god they were absolutely amazing to to have and do really make a difference but there's only certain times you can use them like some ultras like if you were to do the thames path 100 which is all along the thames there's no point because they're just going to irritate you but if you're doing something like the tour of mont blanc ultra trail mont blanc where you're going up and down mountains it can actually save you time so yeah, I don't use them all the time now. I probably will use them. I'm doing a race in Snowden in a couple of weeks. So I'll use them there. But yeah, I wouldn't for flat stuff. Yeah, it's a really interesting debate with poles. It's very much the the old debate you have in so many fields of anything. Of it's just, particularly in this country, tradition versus progress. Mm. And as soon as I kind of heard about poles, like you, I was a bit like, they're for walking why do, you, why do you want them in running and uh my coach has done loads of videos and stuff on running with poles and i was like okay i should probably try these out and then try them for the first time and you go oh my god mm. this is why people use them and 
if you go over to Europe, everyone's using them. Mm. All the top ultra runners yeah. are using poles, mainly because most of them live in the mountains. But then you come over to like the Lake District, Yorkshire, Scotland, and very, very few people are using them. And they're very much all oh, cheat sticks. No, we don't don't want them in our sport. They're no, no, no. <laughs> um, but then the top runners from here, if they go abroad and race in the Alps or something, they'll take them with them. Yeah. But all the traditionalists will still say, no, not allowing them in my race. And it's kind of, come on, let's just move with the yeah. times a little bit here. I think that's because you've got in the UK, like your old school fell runners who are like 95 and look like leather. And they're like, you cannot use a pole. And everyone's like, okay, fine. I won't use a pole. But yeah, like you said, you go to Europe and everyone's using them. They're like, why wouldn't you make your life easier? <laughs> yeah. 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 And, and ultimately, I mean, where's the line when they, when they come with things like cheat sticks? Well, okay. Nike now are bring well everyone not even just nike you carbon plates oh running shoes from nike adidas new balance hocus mm. or coney i think brooks have got some now everyone is using carbon plates mm. is that cheating is hey we're not born with shoes on our feet is using <laughs> shoes at all cheating Where, why is the line at poles and not somewhere else and that's a rhetorical question because i don't know the answer to it but it just it just doesn't make sense um and i forget where i was going with that point i've just had a bit of a rant for no reason um, so luke i'll let you ask a question i obviously asked you about training i've asked you about teams with your running and all your projects now moving forwards is that team going to be the biggest part of what makes you complete something? I think it depends what it is. I think if I went for another world record, um, yes, your team is definitely important. Um, but I also, I like the stuff that you do on your own and where you don't have to rely on a team. Like I do like that side of it as well. So for me, it's kind of, trying to fa find that balance between the two um and even with records now so there's a thing called fastest known times which is more kind of what runners um and cyclists are trying to do instead of going down the guinness world record route just because the guinness stuff is a lot of admin with the fkts you can now have there's different categories as well so where guinness doesn't define them like if you've gone on foot, then if you're doing it self-supported or unsupported, it's all the same thing where FKTs, they have different categories. So self-supported, unsupported and supported. So I think that's quite cool that you can still go for records and you can change how you do it. And you are recognized if you do something self-supported, they look at it and know that you are going to take longer than if you had a team, um, looking after you for the whole time so yeah team is important but yeah i want to try and get a mix of all three mainly because i think you've probably only got so many times you can ask your friends and family to come and stand in the lay-by and give you food and drink so i need to use those those moments wisely <laughs> you mentioned uh, fkts are there any that you've perhaps got your eye on maybe a bob graham or, or anything like that or not Bob Graham anymore after, um, who was it? Beth went and smashed it oh, yeah. <laughs> with some disgusting time. Um, yeah, she's a machine. Um, but I think, yeah, the three peaks one is an FKT. Um, and then maybe one day running across America. That looks quite cool. That's quite a long standing record. I think it's been around for about 30 years or so that, no woman's been able to break it yet so yeah that's that's on the list one day it's dangerous when i get these things and i'm like yeah i'll do that in 20 years time and then watch next summer i'll be running across america doing something stupid like that <laughs> so before we wrap up have you got any advice to anybody who maybe in not just running but any kind of endurance sport looking at these multi-day challenges is there one big piece of advice you would give to them I think 
if you want to start off doing these type of things, um, find a, like a route or a trail that you can look at a map afterwards and see what you've done. So like when I first started, I went and ran around the Isle of Wight, which was 70 miles, but I split it into two days and which, you know, 35 miles might seem still like really far to do in a day. But if you've got nothing else to do all day, you can walk that far. And once you've done it, you can then look at a map and be like, that's so like, I can see that I've run around a whole island and something like that. It's really nice when you're planning it because it's very visual. And for me, once you've finished it, it's quite, you know, it makes you quite proud that you can see it on a map, like a whole island that you've run around or a mountain that you've run around instead of just like a random field. So yeah, pick something that you can visualize, you can see where you're going and you can, I guess, you know, be proud of and show people what you've done when you finish. And one final, very selfish question. Um, no one listening is going to gain anything from this whatsoever. <laughs> um, I asked my coach this yesterday, got the answer I fully expected to get, which was um, eat before you need to eat, walk before you need to walk, shit before you shit your pants. So <laughs> first 50 miler on Saturday, any last minute pearls of wisdom? Um, <laughs> all of those three. But yeah, I definitely think for ultras is eating early um like one of the things as soon as you start exercising what your body does is it shuts off your digestive system so if you can eat and not let that happen so literally you need to start eating 30 minutes into the race and then just eat every 30 minutes until you finish which can become disgusting but if you do that it's one less thing that you need to worry about and i don't know what watch you've got but like on my watch there's a little alert that I can put on that says eat and it just beeps at me. And that way you don't even have to think you just hear a beep and you're like, okay, cool. So yeah, put those little alerts on your watch for eating and drinking and yeah, you'll be fine. And of course don't uh, piss near beehives. Yeah. Tip of the day. <laughs> <laughs> Got the name for this podcast. <laughs> um, Carla, thank you so much for coming on. It's been really, really good having you today. Where can people go to find you, find out more about you? So you can pop over to Instagram, uh, Carla Molinaro. On Facebook, it's Carla Runs, or my website, Carla Molinaro. All very imaginative names. <laughs> Easy to remember. Yeah. Luke, same question. Yes, so my Instagram is zen. What is it? <laughs> I forget this every week. My Instagram is zen underscore anatomy. Um, Facebook is zen anatomy sports therapy, and website is zenanatomy.co.uk. Also, very imaginative. Where can people find you, Paul? Again, really imaginative. Um, Paul Rose PT on Instagram, on Facebook, and paulrosept.com. And also, almost forgot, you can find the podcast on Instagram at talkingfitpod, all one word. Thank you very much for joining us today and we will speak to you very, very soon. Goodbye. Goodbye.